Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got our old friend Weldon Rodenberg back on the show to talk really a variety of topics. We hit some NFL stuff, a little bit of Ole Miss news. And, of course, soccer corner at the end. So, enjoyed time with Weldon. Oh, and a nice little ski corner to start off the pod as our man Weldon was uh, playing injured after a uh, bachelor trip accident. So, nice little story time there to kick off the pod. Think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you. Podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season's over. If you missed out on Skybox's football picks, that's on you because they made money. Some close friends of the pod made quite a bit of money on some Skybox uh, Super Bowl props. But you still got a chance to profit off college basketball season. That is their algorithm's bread and butter. They absolutely rake it in at well over 60% each year on college basketball. If you're into sports wagering and you're not using Skybox, you're really just missing out. It's the only way to profit in the long run. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com, sign up for a picks package, and try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever you want to do. I'd recommend for signing up for the all-year-long all-access pass. And boom, they'll send you picks every day in a color-coded spreadsheet categorized by unit, and you're more equipped to profit than you were 15 minutes before you signed up. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week that's starting back up with baseball season here and discounted meats right now. Three Six ounce fillets, six ounce bacon wrap fillets, that's to say, for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting for 20 bucks. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Right special. Then go find all your own favorites. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. He wants to make your grilling experience great. Go see Greg. There's all kinds of delicious sausages, fresh seafood. I love the fillet burgers, the tri tips. There's so many delicious things there. It is a crown jewel of Oxford. If you haven't gone by LB's, you really haven't experienced Oxford. Check them out. LB's. University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome on former old Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football, and really just all-around correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg, bringing him out of the depths of the offseason. Looking a little worse for the wear. You had your own bachelor party. You had another one after that. I'm noticing a little, uh, I wouldn't call that a bandage, maybe a brace on the hand. Uh, you make it in one piece. What's 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 happening? Yeah, we went to one of my really good friends' bachelor party in Lake Tahoe and went skiing this past weekend. And uh, first day out there, and as I was telling you, uh, like not a humble brag, but I, I am a pretty good skier, uh, had a pretty dramatic spill <laughs> going through a tree run. And I've got a brace on my thumb right now. I'm pretty sure it's fractured or broken. I'm, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. and I'm definitely not going to see one. I've got a pretty nice gash on my nose. Um, so that definitely was a hit to the confidence, uh, meter, uh, but it was a great time. It was a ton of fun. Um, I've never been up there, but it's a really unique skiing deal because it's, where is it? You said 
In Lake Tahoe. Okay, Lake Tahoe. Okay. So, like, you know, I mean, you're skiing in the day. It's beautiful out there. You can see, like, the incredible lake from the mountain. And then, like, when you get down, well, you got casinos for the, for yeah. the night and everything. So, I'd never been there. It was, it was a ton of fun. But it definitely took me about a day and a half of, like, recovering from my from my nice little crash I had. Um, you know, it's just another weekend of, of a lot of shit going on. Uh, no one's going to feel bad for me because it's a, t- a ton of fun. Uh, but definitely took, uh, took some spills. Uh, actually the guy who we went with, uh, he broke his elbow. My um, God, the carnage <laughs> on this trip is just out of control. I mean, broken elbows sounds serious. Like that's, so you're probably I'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh, so the way this mountain works, it's heavenly in Lake Tahoe. There is, uh, you know, like kind of like the base camp of every typical, you know, ski resort you go to, but this one is kind of unique because you have to take a gondola up to the mountain. So you, there's not really ski in, ski out. You kind of, everyone takes the gondola up. And then like from there, you take your, your typical, you know, runs and lifts up to the bowls or wherever the hell you want to go. Now this one has the opportunity. You can ski all the way down if you want to, but you're going out of the ski zone. You're going into back country and, you know, it's, it's people do it. Um, I didn't even know they were doing it. I probably would have if they had told me, but it's it's pretty steep. It's pretty difficult. It's not even black, double black. It's just straight up wilderness. And they got down to the bottom or close to the bottom and it got so rough, they had to take their skis off. So he takes his skis wow. off and is about to kind of like, you know, ride on his butt down to get to the road to kind of walk to where you have to go and gets his boots get caught while he's sliding down, flips over and takes both elbows directly to the pavement. Oh, <laughs> oh man. But only one elbow broken. Only one elbow broken. And we get back and like, he's sitting there and it's like, he doesn't have full cast on, but he can't hold his arms or bend his elbows for the next two nights. So he's just sitting there and he's like, you know, drinking a beer. He has to like bring his head to, to the can. I mean, it was, it was pretty dramatic. And we, we were like, are you going to go to the doctor? Like get an x-ray. And uh, he's like, no, I'm just going to fight it out here. And then he sent us a picture this morning of like a full arm cast and his wedding is in like, you know, three weeks. <laughs> oh no! So this is the bachelor. You said the other this guy. Is the bachelor. This is the guy who we went with. Yeah. Oh god! And, uh, I bet the wife. I think he'll be able to take it off for the wedding and everything. But it was definitely a a pretty shitty fall. That's brutal. So I've been skiing once. I am not a skier. That's just not something like our family did growing up. And I feel like with most like good skiers, like it's something you did, you know, as a kid a yeah. couple of times, and you get the hang of it. But I went once on a college trip, the last year of school. It's one of those things where you can go out there and ski super affordable. A bunch of our friends are doing it. You may have been on the same trip. I don't know. I think we went Probably to so. Brecken. I actually don't even know what city we were in. I think it was Breckenridge. It was with Jeff Holt and everybody. Yeah. 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 So that was my last year of college and Portner convinced me to go. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'll give it a try. Like I've never been out to that part of the country. Sounds kind of fun. So I was advised to do ski school, which is apparently definitely the way to go. If you've never done it before, just learn yes. the ropes. Yes. So, I was going to shirk that advice because I thought I was going to be the only one doing it. But uh, our good friend Arliss Williams was like, I'm skied once. It was a long time ago. I'm going to go through ski school. So everyone else goes up to like the slopes the first day. And Arliss and I are in ski school with like a couple other girls on the trip. And then like some like 10 year olds. And they're just absolutely lapping us 
um, rubbing it in our face. We have this instructor who's this Australian fellow who I just am going to assume was higher than a kite the entire time. He didn't know Arliss's name. He kept calling him Arlen. Um, so we go through ski school for like two days and to kind of get the basics of it. And I started skiing greens fine, like the bunny slopes, like no problem at all. I'm like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this. But what they don't tell you is everything they teach you in ski school above a green is just a crock of shit. The pizza thing doesn't work. No, just it does doesn't. Not. That's not how it's supposed to go. They teach you basically how to drive a car at like 10 miles an hour. And then the next day I'm going on the freeway. So I decided to do like a blue and I ended up going down on my ass for um, the last, like I'd say two thirds of the slope. I just couldn't do it. I was going too fast. I couldn't stop myself. I might've ended up in a situation that you're in right now. Had I not just caught waved in the white flag and uh, decided to go down on my butt the entire time. But the level, uh, the, what I found was the level up from the bunny slope to even just the basic blue is so drastic. And I certainly felt it because again, I thought I was pretty good on the bunny slopes. Like I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I got up there and was just like, no, I can't, I'm going to die. Like this is, this is not great. So like, I've always heard you, you pick up more of it the second time I've yet to make a return trip, but uh, I stuck to the bunny slopes basically by myself for the rest of the trip, which is not uh, ideal. I enjoyed my time out there. But uh, skiing with a bunch of 12-year-olds on the bunny slopes is not what I had in mind when I signed up. But, hey, it, it was I was no worse for the wear, but that blue was no joke. That that was not something I, I was ready for. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a rep sport for sure. You know, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the different mountains and different runs. And I, I've been quite a few times. And, honestly, this was the, by far the worst fall I've ever had. Um, I mean, I haven't had the wind knocked out of me in probably, you know, 12 years. That'll um, humble you quick. And I thought that I broke every rib in my body. I thought that like I punctured a lung. I thought I broke my hand. I mean, it was so, 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 so painful. It doesn't matter how many times you ski, like that doesn't change. That pain was, was awful. And honestly, it like, I had, I felt like I had the yips for the rest of the day. I mean, I'm like, skating and going across and finally i just went down and said hey i just i need a new pair of skis you know even if for a placebo effect like give me a longer pair have more control and then went out the next day and it was a literal blizzard like you know it was snowing so like so high the top of the mountain we got to this this (laughs) one we were doing we couldn't see 15 feet in front of us and like we're on this black and you know, there's, it's like, you know, part is like really steep, but like no moguls. And finally we get through that and all of a sudden, you know, the moguls come out of nowhere and we all just go flying because we couldn't see 10 feet in front of us, you know, what the terrain was and was going. And I mean, it was a ton of fun because no one was on the runs, but it was honestly like one of the scariest things I've ever done because everything looked like a tree in front of you. You know, when the snow yeah. is just covering you. And you can't see all you can see is shapes and you just assume that, okay, you know, this is a pretty wide open run, but that looks like a tree. That looks like a tree. That looks like a tree. Um, So it was really, really stressful, honestly, but a ton of fun. I finally got some confidence back after everyone made fun of me for a whole day. Um, But those trips are, those trips are incredible. I mean, they're, it's such a nice getaway. Um, the weather is always great. I mean, even though it's blizzarding and snowing up top, when you get down to the bottom, it's, you know, it's perfect. You know, it's California. It's, it's just how it always is over there. Uh, but I, I've taken my fair share of lumps now, through the years. That does not change no matter how many times you go. 
broken elbow guy was this day one was his trip pretty much ruined from that no, no this is actually the last day point. okay that helped that helped day. a lot because day one i imagine he's not skiing with that no i he did he could not have skied with this it, it was it was pretty tough because like he he probably couldn't have gripped his poles i mean it was like so he was so stiff that i mean he he definitely could not have skied in his case, from a medical attention standpoint, it's a little different. You mentioned, like, I'm not going to go see a doctor about this. I guess in your case, like, if you did, like, fracture a bone, all you're going to get is a fat medical bill telling you you fractured a bone, right? Like, for you, like, there's not much you can do. So, you know, to hell with modern medicine. You just put that thing in your own little splint and, uh, and hope it recovers? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that's why I didn't even go, because I know exactly like, what to do. It's you kind of ice it, put some heat on it, keep it you know, firm, but there's absolutely nothing I can do. It's not like I'm going to go get surgery for it. I mean, that's stupid. And I don't even think that's necessary. Now him, you know, that's like a real joint. Broken elbow is a different deal, man. You Like if you don't get that checked out, who knows how that heals? Yeah. And he's like an agricultural engineer. So he does a lot of stuff uh, in like sugarcane fields in Louisiana. And like, you know, he's driving heavy machinery and like he has to make sure that he's he's good to go, or he that's a serious liability issue. So he actually had to go to the doctor, um, which he probably would have done anyway, even if he was like an accountant. But because um, his was a little more serious. Yeah, I hope our guy makes it through his wedding. Okay, that that could be a real uh, real bummer. I mean, can you imagine like on your 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 wedding night, you got that coming up, um, and you're just having to have someone put the beer up to your mouth, or you're having to stick your head down towards this gigantic thing of beer because like I broke my elbow. I'm sure the wife would love that. Uh, fortunately, we have two very cool fiancés who's actually been texting each other all day, making fun of both of us <laughs> for for falling and you know being embarrassing. Because um, my engagement party's next week, and I have this gash on my nose, and I come home. <laughs> yesterday and she was looking at me like okay well we're gonna have to put makeup on that or something dumbass. Like, like are you serious for one week away you've got a you know splint on your arm and you've got a, like a literal like scar on your nose like you're gonna look like a complete dumbass. so we'll be all right though i mean in reality you're a hero for not being dead so you can thank her for uh i mean she should be thanking you because she could have been done in the engagement thing solo because they could have just buried you up there I felt like it. That's I mean, it was so painful. There's actually one of the funniest stories, and you know, some people actually might know this girl if they're listening. But we went on that that same college trip. I don't know if you remember this happening, but this girl that we knew, um, like not an expert skier, like her, I think it was like her first or second time, um, a little bit heavy set, uh, is going down the mountain. We're actually like kind of falling behind her. And she falls and it is not pretty. It's like both skis left, right, you know, face plant, like just really a really, really bad spill and um, tore both of her ACLs. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that. I mean, that rules out tore like turning and stuff, like even just making a little 90 degree turn to go in a door. That makes that difficult. That's both. I mean, you can no, handle one. Mean, it's both. So, like, we, you know, we get back to school the next week and we see her. I mean, like, she is in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she can't walk. It's not funny. It's not funny. But it got just, is. This, it, it is the situation. Because, like, then, of course, like, it's not like you can just ride down the mountain on the back of a mobile, like a snowmobile. Like, she had to get, like, wrapped up and, like, what looked like a coffin and, like, dragged down the mountain because she oh, couldn't yeah. move. <laughs> that's 
that's brutal. You know, that on that same trip, or if it was the same trip, our our, our buddy of ours, uh, Parker Durham, was in the same boat as me and Arlois, but I elected against ski school, goes up to a blue the very first run they go on, uh, breaks his leg, gets down the mountain, and for the rest of the week, he's just propped up with his leg propped up on a bar stool and just basically runs up a you know three-figure bar tab each day for the remaining four days. And basically, yeah. if you know, you got to catch up and get on his level when the skiing's done. But his skiing lasted all of about seven minutes because he didn't like to do ski school. Broke a limb, and then he's just at the bar the rest of the week, which uh, would have put a toll on me from a headache standpoint and probably my wallet, but I guess to each their own. That that seems like a tough way to spend a uh, a ski trip, but uh, he he powered through like a champion, okay? Uh, as we graduate here from uh, Ski Corner, we have a variety of topics to hit. Really not a ton of Ole Miss news, but I, wanted to, I was really kind of in a content lull, kind of wanted to get you on to talk. I don't know. Super Bowl. I thought that was a pretty awesome Super Bowl as the NFL season comes to a close. Um, you know, it was kind of one of those never bet against Patrick Mahomes thing. But Jalen Hurts was also awesome. I just thought that was a really awesome football game. Yes, the call at the end kind of sucked. And I would like to see Philly with the football one more time. But yeah. it was a, it was a tough one in that game where they let everything go. But it didn't really ruin the experience for me. I wasn't as bummed out as people were about the call. I just thoroughly enjoyed watching that Super Bowl. That was one of my favorite in a while. It was an incredible game. Um, I, I think there were things that kind of took away from it. Obviously, the call at the end was, you know, I was cheering for Philadelphia and I bet on Philadelphia, uh, which we'll look back years and, you know, in the future and realize that we had an opportunity to bet on the homes with points and we'll feel pretty stupid. Not important. Um, but man, the field the conditions on the field were just terrible. And it kind of took away advantages for, honestly, both teams with Philadelphia yeah. and their pass rush. Same with Cincinnati. I mean, with the Chiefs, I mean, like with Chris Jones, I mean, he was kind of a non-factor. I mean, he didn't really do too much. Um, so that was a little shitty, just like some of the exterior components of this game. Um, but you got to see the two best teams in the league this year. You know, it's not something you always get in the Super Bowl. Uh, go head-to-head, -head, for the most part, play pretty flawless games. Obviously, defensively was not great, but that's the NFL these days. It's just football these days as the offenses are so far ahead. Um, you got to see the best quarterback in the league, you know, on a bum ankle, even though he may be a little dramatic about it, uh, play as good as he possibly can. I mean, scoring every single drive in the second half. Um, you got to see Jalen Hurts, like, claim his stake as a top five, top seven quarterback in the league. Like, I mean, it's hard to have any doubters on him anymore. Um, I mean, he was fantastic with the exception of probably the play of the game besides the the pass interference was him just coughing up the football and giving up a touchdown, yeah. um, which you can't forget about it because they probably – I think they win that game – in a way different fashion if that doesn't happen. I mean, it's 14-7 and they're driving and they've really controlled the entire game. Um, With no resistance. Yeah. I mean, not that many stress-free, like high-stress third downs. Like if that gets to 21-7 and say it's a 14 or 17-point game at halftime, it's a whole different deal. No, yeah. I mean, it, it was an incredible football game. It's It was a legacy definer for Andy Reid getting that second Super Bowl against his former team. Uh, Mahomes is now, you know, the only thing he's chasing is legacy. I mean, he's he's as surefire of a bet as you can have in sports, similar to 
you know, LeBron and Tom Brady, it's like they're on your team. You are going to have a chance to win the championship no matter what, um, except for the Lakers this year. They suck. But, uh, I mean, it was awesome. It was great. It's unfortunate that this is the second year in a row where there's been kind of a weird penalty at the end of the game to really – you know, yeah. kind of change the potential outcome. Um, and I think just with the conversations around officiating in this sport, like that kind of sucks. But all in all, it's really hard to complain. I mean, it was a it was a hell of a football game. I wanted to ask you about the Hurts piece of it, because as someone who worked in college sports and were evaluating talent around the same time as Hurts, I don't remember the exact overlap of when Hurts is a recruit and when you started working. But just from what you saw, are you surprised that he's become what he's become as an NFL quarterback? Because I think back to a time where right up before the national title game where he gets benched in the second half or two, I was texting my buddy Chandler Rome, who's uh, he covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle now, but he was covering Alabama at the time for a newspaper in a town in East Alabama. And as the chatter kind of got louder, it was like, are they going to go to Tua as they later they got in that year? I was kind of surprised by that to some degree. Now, granted, at that time, I certainly didn't know what I was watching from like a quarterback and like the kind of the minutiae that goes into that. And I remember asking him, like, are they really doing that? Like, is that really going to happen? And he mentioned like, you know, Hertz is pretty limited and he limits what they can do. And just to see him, you know, four years later or three years later, however long it is from that time in 20, whatever, 18, 19, that was reaching the peak of the sport, having an MVP like season and playing awesome in a Super Bowl. It's got to come as some, some bit of a surprise. But like, what do you make of it from his college evolution to what he's become now? I never thought he'd be a starter in the NFL. I guess I'll put it that way. Well, the Eagles drafted him higher than a lot of people thought he would go into a, a place that I think a lot of people were surprised because Carson Wentz was still there, though coming yeah. off an injury. Um, so it was definitely a unique decision by by Howie Roseman and that crew. I think it's Howie Roseman. Um, but no, I'm I'm super shocked. Like, I mean, my little brother is a huge Eagles fan. I kept telling him, like, the, the, like this guy is not the guy. Like, you know, I just don't see it. I don't think he's got the arm. I just don't see it. And he has proven so many people, you know, wrong, just the way his career has gone. Um, the only thing you, you definitely could never doubt the kid's mindset. Yes. I mean, he was just a, a professional football player playing college, which is the way he handled everything. All of the Tua stuff, you know, basically having a game-winning drive and then having Sean Watson take that game from them. I mean, he was incredible in that game. Just everything he had did throughout college and all the issues that well, – not really issues, just kind of just personal adversity, having to transfer eventually to Oklahoma. Um, I mean, he's just gone through a lot of football career stuff, and he has just come out as just a pro. Um, now, you can also credit the Eagles and Sirianni and that entire front office for putting together an incredible roster around him. Um, I, they're not as dramatic as Lamar Jackson. They definitely shape their offense to give him the best advantage and give their team the best advantage to win football games. That's what really good NFL teams do. It's what really good college teams do. You know, you, you fit your personal route, your scheme around your personnel, not vice versa. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been pretty shocking. I was not high on him coming into the NFL. Uh, there were scouts that came by the buildings who were not high on him going in the NFL. Uh, but like I said, the only thing – you could never doubt was that this kid was a franchise player in terms of mindset, in terms of, you know, just coachability, in terms of leadership. 
Um, that is a massive part of playing quarterback. I mean, you're seeing what what's going on in Arizona with Kyler Murray. I mean, no one touched that job with a 10-foot pole because they're paying a really talented football player a ton of money who clearly is not a leader and doesn't give a shit about football. Uh, you saw even people over in Denver. I mean, Sean Payton was not their first choice. And if some people say he's even reluctant because Russell Wilson – very talented has shown that he's really good, but the leadership and the the professional mindset has definitely wavered quite a bit these last few years. I mean, it, it's just, it's just pretty crazy what Hertz has been able to do. And you kind of see the opposite side of that so much in this league and really in any sports league that it's kind of refreshing. And, you know, to see a guy that's as good of a guy as he is and the kind of way that he goes about the game, have this kind of success and have the team back him fully yeah that, i'm glad you went there because that's what i was going to ask next is like you know whatever limitations he might have had he clearly and this is hard to quantify as opposed to like actual like physical traits throwing the ball running all that different stuff is he's clearly elite in kind of the mental headspace category because you see so many guys as you just very eloquently outlined that like are far more talented but aren't very good in that leadership department and that's kind of what i enjoy about football and kind of the american quarterback is this that like it's the living proof that that kind of stuff still matters. I mean, you're st starting to see it in the NBA with guys like Kyrie Irving and stuff like that are wildly talented, but just aren't awesome to be around or awesome dudes in a locker room. And like that stuff still matters in sports. And I think quarterbacks, the epitome of that, but he clearly seems to be very elite in that capacity because again, you have guys that are more talented. I mean, Wentz is more physically gifted than hurts and a lot of other guys, but it he just was other pieces not there <laughs> yet yeah, was, but that piece is just not there. And that matters a ton and hurts has <laughs> and I really respect the guy um you know for that. And then now you're starting to see the physical thing come around because he made a couple of throws in that Super Bowl where like shit, I didn't even know he had that in the bag. Well, that that third kind of down throw, throw to Dallas Goddard nuts. was was incredible. It, though he has absolutely improved his game um dramatically. And you know, it's all it kind of goes back to that leadership. Like that's the first building block. You know, obviously you want all the talent. You see guys, you know, talking about drafting Anthony Richardson high. You know, Josh Allen is definitely like an outlier when it comes to what he was compared to what he is now. I, mean, I don't think we've really ever seen anything like it in the league, especially in modern football. But I always go back and this conversation with Ole Miss fans comes up so much every time one quarterback gets hurt. Like, oh, Chad Kelly, he could absolutely go in there and like be that franchise quarterback. No, he can't. Vacuum cleaners at parties. Yeah, sorry. Chad Kelly hasn't lived a day in his life as a professional athlete where he was going to be a franchise quarterback. And he showed it multiple times that he couldn't do it. When you got a guy like Jalen Hurts, who probably doesn't have the arm talent that Chad Kelly had, but he's got everything else, like that is a serious recipe. And then, of course, when you've got guys like Mahomes and Burrow who have like all of it put together, the arm talent accuracy along with the mindset. I mean, that's when you get the elite, elite players. But there's no reason to think Hertz is not going to continue to improve and get better, especially with this roster. I mean, he has to be talked about in that league of guys um, now for sure, at least in my opinion, he is. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. It'll be interesting to kind of see what happens with him and the contract stuff and how they're how they're able it will to be there. His extension will be very telling and very, very interesting to follow because the the way that those contracts work now, especially after Deshaun Watson basically fucked the entire league, then the Browns fucked the entire league with the way that they dealt that one out. 
I mean, you're seeing the ramifications, especially with what Derek Carr is going through, with what, especially with what Lamar Jackson is going through over in Baltimore, how they go about paying these guys, whether they can, you know, swallow these fully guaranteed contracts that are, you know, backloaded, similar to what they did with Deshaun. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see how teams rate their quarterbacks these days. And I'm curious, Neil brought this up on their podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's been super into the Bengals for the last little bit. I don't necessarily know why, but he's followed a lot of Bengals stuff. And he ended up the fact that there's a decent chance, and I've read conflicting stuff on this, about like Burroughs extension and him maybe taking kind of a hometown discount to allow them to build the roster elsewhere. And like, it's one of those things where Tom Brady did it for years, and I'd say it worked out pretty well for that fella. But you haven't seen other guys follow that trajectory at all. No one else has really done that. And I'm never going to fault a professional athlete, particularly in the NFL with the way contracts are structured, for taking as much money as humanly possible. I mean, I'm not. It's not a greed thing. It's not a selfishness thing. Like, you only get a certain time to play football. You you have no idea what's going to happen. I'm never faulting someone for maximizing their value. But at the same time, when these guys are now getting paid $35, $40 million, you're going to see a $50 million hit with Aaron Rodgers in a year or two if it's not already hit there. Like, like, I just always wonder if someone's going to do the whole, eh, I'm good. What about $35 million? Because, like, does that really change your lifestyle that much and then provide you other cap freedom? Again, not faulting anyone for not doing it, but it's crazy that the greatest quarterback that's ever lived did that for years. And, yes, his wife, now ex-wife, was a gazillionaire, and that changes things as well. But it's all life-changing factor. Yeah, that's a hugely important factor. But, like, it's all life-changing money, and I've just been surprised to some degree to not see one of these guys – take the 40 million and turn it in and just say, nah, 30, let's go spread the wealth elsewhere and continue to win. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe there's no guarantee with that, but I've just been surprised that no one has followed Brady's footsteps in that at all. I don't know if you felt the same, but it's just something I've noticed over the last half decade is these contracts continue to get more and more ridiculously high with quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to fault any of them for, for not doing it. Um, Cause it's kind of like, Hey, I'm worth this much, you know, these contracts only go up and up and up. And it's like, they reset the market with every high level quarterback that signs. Um, So yeah, why would I take a discount? You know, and I understand completely, especially when you see guys get hurt all the time. I mean, there's like a legit chance when no one knows if Tua is going to play football next year. I mean, they said he's, they said he's cleared and he's up for an extension coming soon too. Like what the hell is that extension going to look like? I mean, he's one more concussion away from maybe never playing the sport again. Um, I do think Burrow is in a particularly interesting situation in Cincinnati because of the ownership. Yeah. Brady was fortunate to be with Robert Kraft in new England where they had, you know, he is not a cheap owner. You know, he has plenty of money and obviously there is a salary cap, but a lot of this, this money, if you ever listen to stuff going on with the Raiders, like the Raiders are like not an overly liquid franchise because all the money is made through the family. The Cincinnati Bengals are in a very similar situation. I mean, they don't even really have like a scouting department. You know, they, they're a very, very, very cheap organization. So they didn't Burrow have an indoor might... practice facility until like a year ago. I, I lived yeah. and worked up there when I was doing the Reds thing, and the Reds have a very cheap owner, and it was like, God damn, this guy's worse than – it's not Paul Brown, is it? I forget the, the Bengals owner, but it's the same deal. They're very, very cheap. Brown, I can't remember what the – it might be Paul Brown. It was, I, but regardless, not the point. But, like, a lot of these owners, you don't think about it because there's a cap and everyone's got it, but – if you remember a few years ago, the Raiders traded Khalil Mack because they simply did not have the liquidity to pay him his contract correctly. Yeah. They sent him to the Bears, if I remember. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a real factor. So Burrow might be in a situation where it's it's like, you know, I might do this and, and take a pay cut because not only will it help my team, but like it might take a load off of the owners so that they have more wherewithal to invest in this football team and this franchise. And overall, I think Brady not only have his wife being richer than him, but being in the situation where they had such a organizational structure there that they knew exactly what they would do with that money. Not every, not every franchise organization has that kind of structure to do it. Um, so I don't blame these guys. It always also, and I know this is a factor that'll make people like every time, you know, a contract comes up for like a white quarterback, they kind of assume that like, Oh, you know, he's might take a pay cut like yeah. Drew Brees and Peyton Manning. And then every time it's a black quarterback, like Lamar or Kyler or Deshaun, they're like, Oh no, like he definitely doesn't need to take a pay. It, it's, it's, there's a little bit of that when you come to like, you know, talking about these situations, that always gets a little cheeky. Um, but I, I don't know what he's going to do. But, I mean, Mahomes, his contract was not that crazy, really, when you're looking at it, the way they backloaded it. I mean, it's coming up. But, I mean, the way that they've structured that roster, I mean, they have, like, real money. They played a lot of young guys this year. It's really difficult to build a competitive football roster when, when your quarterback's making close to 50. Um, but they've done it. So there's there's different ways to go about it. The Mahomes extension was perfect timing because it came before that gigantic spike, like right before the DAC thing. And like Kirk Cousins had kind of raised it a little bit, which is kind of hilarious to mention him and Mahomes in the same breath. But you're right. Like it only kept going up and up. And so the Chiefs are like fortunate in the timing of when that extension happened, because I think it if it had happened three years later, you're probably looking at Patrick Mahomes as a $45 million quarterback. Maybe he's the dude that takes the pay cut. I have no idea. I'm just fascinated to see it because like, in this day and age of modern sports, like, again, I'm not a millionaire. I know that might shock many out there with the way this pod's doing, but uh, like, <laughs> I don't, I've never wanted to like tell people what to do with their money or like, well, they should just take the pay cut. What's the $10 million difference to a rich guy? I hate it when people do that. But now with the money being so insane at that position, it seems like the only thing that differentiates you and like will make your legacy and everything and make you remember in a different light longer is being a winner and winning multiple Super Bowls, right? Like Aaron Rodgers, not a really guy that I don't know if you consider him a leader. I don't know if you consider him, you know, the ultimate winner when he leaves, which is kind of crazy because he won so many regular season games. He does have the Super Bowl, but he never went back to one. And I think as talented as he is, he will be remembered in his legacy will be a little bit different than those of us who were able to watch him in his prime think of the guy because he only got one Super Bowl and never made it back to one. And like, I just always wonder like if anyone's ever going to get to that point where it's like, no, nah, I'd like to win like, or at least have the best shot to win four of these suckers. That way I'm remembered in that Brady light as opposed to a guy who maybe won one, got close to one and made a ton of money. No fault either way. It's just a fascinating dynamic as American sports athletes continue to get richer and richer. Right. You just never know what the mindset of these guys is. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers, despite being a little out there and currently in his like darkness retreat, wherever the hell that is. There's like a camera on that. Yeah. There's absolutely no doubt that Aaron Rodgers loves football and he wants to win football games just because he's kind of been a little bit more outspoken in his past years. Like doesn't change that fact. Um, but you just don't know if they really care about legacy. Right. You know, they might want to win a lot of games, win a Super Bowl, but it, it may not be the overarching picture where you've got guys like Brady and Manning and, you know, in other sports, LeBron and Kobe, where it's like, I want that next ring. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. And I want to be remembered as the greatest. 
Yeah. I think Mahomes is is honestly in that same category with he is now set up himself to have an opportunity to be considered one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play this game. And no one really knows that that's his motivation or not. I mean, he has never really said it. I mean, he's a, he's not a necessarily a quiet guy, but he doesn't really talk about that a whole lot. But that conversation's coming up now. I mean, they have hosted five straight eight AFC championship games. Which is insane to think about. Five straight at home. At home. Uh, and they've gone to three Super Bowls. They've won two of them. And honestly, they could have gone to a fourth if Frank Clark doesn't go off sides against the Patriots. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable what he's been able to accomplish in a league that is defined by parity. And not to mention that now he is in by far the more difficult conference. And that conference will be more difficult for the next probably 10 years with Burrow and Herbert and Josh Allen. And, you know, no one knows what Lamar is going to do, but if he stays with the Ravens, they ain't going to be an easy out either. Um, not to mention that Sean Payton just entered the division. Uh, the Raiders, they're kind of down now, but it's not like they're a bad football team either. Um, it's just going to be really difficult. If he's able to just continue to do this there, I mean, it's going to be hard to not talk about him amongst the greatest. Um, but, you know, he took his contract. Is there a situation where he begins to lower it to raise the ceiling of his team? I think I think his contract situation is locked in, but it will be interesting to see in the back half of it, the older he gets, how he decides, you know, what his priorities are with the team. Last NFL thing, you mentioned that side of it, the other side of the conference. What's up with the – what's going on with the Saints? What are they going to do long-term? I I guess we'll start with the Sean Payton piece of it because I heard Chase mention this on their show the other day, and I didn't really notice it until after the fact. I went looking back through. There was a weird, like, media deal with, like, uh, with um, Payton going to the Broncos, and it seemed, like, primarily fueled by Jeff Duncan where it was, like, almost, like, encouraging fans to, like – Sean Payton took another job, like bow down and give him one more, like worship him, like another kind of like swan song for Payton. And like the more and more I read into it, again, it was primarily the one columnist who's been in that market for a long time. But yeah. I thought that was like a weird aspect of it. Like Sean Payton has now been gone for the Saints for what will be, you know, two seasons when they kick off the, the season next year. Like, I just thought that was weird. And I know there's a tie because they had to trade for him and they did get compensation back for it. But that yeah. was kind of like a weird thing. He goes to the Broncos and then like, I felt like I read more Saints Sean Payton stuff than I did with, you know, how the hell he's going to fix Russell Wilson. I thought that was odd. Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult to say. I think it's such a semi unprecedented situation having a coach kind of retire, but then like with the, very well-known fact that he was going to come back and coach again. I mean, there was no one denying that. Um, there were stories about, oh, maybe he's going to come back to the Saints with Tom Brady. That bullshit was floating out there for a few months, which was obviously never going to happen. He was never coming back to the Saints. Okay, I was going to um, ask you that. Like, before – I wanted to hit you – I hit that next, but we're just going to do it now. So, not the Tom Brady thing aside – Dennis Allen has been a terrible head coach everywhere he's gone. I mean, the, the amount of like the Saints have been a well, I'm not a Saints fan, but the Saints have been a well run organization for most of my, you know, I would say, you know, 12 years old on. Whenever basically whenever Peyton and Loomis got there post Katrina, so it was never going to happen because like I read some stuff where it was like, hey, if they just went ahead and canned Allen, like he might come back. You don't believe that's the case? Should they? Have I done do that? not. How did you read that situation? I do not believe that's the case. If they had fired Dennis Allen, I do not believe Sean Payton would still be the coach of the Saints. I, that's okay. not – it's not because, like, bridges were burnt because I don't think there was any uh, 
like bad blood between Miss Benson and Loomis and Sean. I think it was just a, a matter of Sean's life being like, Good I need chapter. to take a break. I mean, people forget like not only was that the COVID season, but the Saints had like five quarterbacks where they had, had one quarterback for about like 15 years. And then they had five in one season with maybe like as many injuries as you could possibly have. And they were still still a half a football away from playing in the playoffs. Like that's how good of a coach Sean Payton was. They make it um, if that Jimmy G drop doesn't happen against the Rams who ultimately won the Super Bowl that year. If the right? Rams weren't fucking losers and yes. give up a, like a 17 point lead in the second half, the Saints were going to be in the playoffs, probably playing in LA. Which is um, a remarkable accomplishment given the injuries, that roster, and the quarterback situation. Just absurd. It's a, it's probably I mean, I maybe his greatest, other than the Super Bowl, maybe like the greatest you know feather in his cap of how ridiculously good of a coach he is. Truly incredible. I mean, I was at a Monday Night Football game against the Dolphins where Ian Book was the starter. I remember this. That was the worst football game I've ever seen in my entire life. And that team had an opportunity to go to the playoffs in the National Football League. Um, so, but back to Peyton, I mean, it, that was gone. He was done. He needed a break. I was obviously like disappointed. I mean, that is my childhood of, of, you know, watching him and the saints, this franchise, you know, they've had some just colossal chokes. And we did a pod the day he retired. If you remember. I do remember that actually. Cause I watched his press conference, which went on for like almost two yeah. hours. Um, earlier that day, I mean, it, it was sincere because like he really does love New Orleans. I mean, he he still has an apartment there. I mean, he lived in Dallas for the most part in the offseason, but he's he's been back to do some media engagements. I, there's not a lot of ill will. It just was over. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, Jeff Duncan, I know Chase does not like him. I don't either because he believes that like, you know, the story of the Saints is like also a story about him, like the way that he tweets that and covers the, the team. It's very, uh, very like Stephen Godfrey s with college football. Like you know, he's a part of the story of college football. Um, so like he can be a little annoying, but I, that is not really relevant to what the Saints' future is anymore. And nothing about that situation ever was. Uh, they have to figure out a lot of things. Um, they will figure out the cap. They do it every single year. Is it bad? And is it just a you know a poison pill? that eventually will come to fruition down the road, possibly. But at this point, they've been doing it for half a decade now, and it just doesn't seem to ever matter. It, it's cost them maybe like two players, two or three like really impactful players in the last five or six years of doing this. It's never uh, been like a penalty, like, okay, the bills come due. I always see that terminology. It's basically just been a slow hamstring, right? It's hamstrung in the last couple of years slowly. It's almost like inflation where it kind of gradually hits you instead of there being this moment. It's like, oh, now you're screwed is the way I've seen, seen that play out. Yeah, I don't think there is going to be one season where it comes to like this, this halt, you know, like it's like the stock market where it just crashes because of just the way that they do these contracts now. This is well known. Like this is how the Saints. This is this is what we do. This is how we operate. The, it doesn't affect the players because actually it can be a positive. I mean, Marcus May got a four million dollars signing bonus today that he wasn't expected to get for two years because they needed to take off some of the cap hit from his contract. So they don't care. It, it doesn't affect them at all. Um, and if you'd want to get more money, like Marcus Williams or Trey Hendrickson, who had earned you know a five year max extension deal. Well, you probably aren't going to be able to stay with the Saints, and that sucks for them. But, you know, they ended up going making – I mean, Marcus Williams is the highest-paid safety in the league. 
And then Trey Henderson made a shit ton of money with the Bengals. Like that happens. That happens with every team. That's not an unusual situation. Um, so th- they'll figure that out. Um, the quarterback's the next step. Uh, the Derek Carr came on a visit. He, you know, did not waive his no trade clause. So the Raiders cut him today, actually, or released him today, I believe. So he'll be able to pick his team and uh, restructure his contract however they see fit. Are you a uh, fan or not? Uh, no. My thing is like like <laughs> Sean Payton, Derek Carr. I'd be like, oh, let's do this. You can maximize it. Dennis Allen and I forget the OC's name in Derek Carr. I don't know. Like you know what I mean? Like it's Big one of those things. Like that he's right in that range where it's like, okay, who's your coach and what are you doing? Right. Um, he will be expensive. But that's all quarterbacks. Um, I don't think he's a bad football player. I think with the Raiders, he is maybe Ryan Russell says this all the time, and I listen to him today, and he is right. In terms of like coaching and special teams and defense, like he maybe has been like the least supported top 10, 15 quarterback in this league, like the last five years. I mean, he has just done everything, and the rest of his team has done absolutely nothing. Like it has been bad. And the Saints, you know, for all their issues, have pretty good special teams and a very good defense. Um, so, yeah, I think it elevates your ceiling for the next few seasons, but I don't think it's a franchise saver. But I don't think the Saints care about that. I really don't. I, I think – and I actually really respect them for this in a league and an era where people just tank and tank and tank. The Saints refuse to do it. They are saying we are going to be a competitive football team for as long as we can. Um, I it love doesn't work in football. Tanking doesn't work. It doesn't work in football. Uh, I, I don't think it will ever work in football, I think, uh, because you can get a great quarterback and you've seen it happen, but there's so many players in there. You have to build an entire roster that doesn't change anything. In the NBA, whoever gets Victor Wimbanyama next year, that franchise Their is, business, baby. is completely different. I mean, it's a totally different ball game. Um, I just don't think Dennis Allen is the guy to lead this team. Uh, why do I think that? Because he sucks as a football coach, and he always has, and nothing has changed. This is a roster this year that should have won the NFC South, and they did not because they have a very bad football coach. Um, so that I mean that those two things are obviously the most important for every football team, but for the Saints in particular, the way they run their franchise, you have to get those two right. And right now, they're dead wrong. We'll get back to Weldon in just a second. I want to take a quick break to remind you the podcast brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a daily supplement you can take in the morning that gets your body all the nutrients it needs. Just mix it up in a quick little drink. It's awesome. I'm not the greatest eater. I sometimes need uh, different sources of protein to make sure my body has the right things to function at full capacity. Athletic Greens is a great way to do that. It's awesome. It's easy. It's tasty. Check them out. Athletic Greens on their website, athleticgreens.com. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. I'm with you. As a uh, kind of an outside observer, I you know grew up in a sea of Saints fans and kind of watched from afar without really ever having any emotional investment. I'm not like anti-Saints like at all. I actually think they're kind of a fun story. I just never really grew up much of a Saints fan. I don't really have any. I mean, I grew up a Titans fan, but I don't, the Titans don't ruin my Sunday. After, after about 19 years old, I was like, you know, this kind of sucks. Like, I, I, this is not fun anymore. So I just kind of like watching the NFL but one of the things I did notice this year is the Saints went from being a well-coached football team for a long time to almost like an unseriously bad coach football team. I mean, how many games did they leave on the table with just stupid coaching decisions, dumb penalties? 
Um, like I think of that, like, again, this is not necessarily coaching, but the back-to-back like pick sixes where the game just gets away with them in Arizona on that Thursday night or whatever and stuff yeah. like that, that you're not accustomed to seeing in at least in the last decade, the saints doing that happened a lot. And there's a lot of factors that go into it, but then you look at a guy, Dennis Allen, who was terrible in Oakland when he was the head coach, like at a certain point, like, it's not everyone else. It's gotta be you. So you think he's not long for this world. You think this leads to probably I won't say ultimate reset, but new coach. And then you, maybe you try something different and younger at quarterback that maybe is a little more longer thing. It almost feels like they're in a limbo. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely in limbo and it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, they have so much continuity in that organization. I mean, Loomis has been there since 06. The Bensons have been there for so long that they kind of just trusted that, you know, the franchise was bigger than the coach and that they were going to, continue with the continuity, the same offensive coordinator, the, the dude co-defensive coordinators who are now both gone, by the way, um, were, were still on staff. So everything was just like, you know, Peyton out, Dennis Allen in, and they thought they could just keep it rolling. And, you know, to be kind of honest, I, I kind of agreed with it. I was like, all right, you know, we've seen coaches go from one stint to another and like really improve. He's, he's been under, one of the best coaches in the NFL in the last 15 years. Like I'm sure he's learned something, but to see what they have been to compare what they were this year, like you said, was just like night and day. I mean, they were undisciplined. The offense was horrible, like terrible. It was a terrible watch. There's like three teams every year that are really terrible offensive watch. And unfortunately the saints were one of them. No, I mean, when, even when the saints were like bad during the Sean Payton and Drew Brees era, kind of between like 12 to 14. I mean, they were entertaining as shit. Fuck yeah, they were. They scored like 50 points a game. Now they couldn't stop a nosebleed, but like they were incredible and offense and fun to watch. I mean, this is the first time uh, in the last, I think I saw it was like 12 years that going into this season, the Saints did not have a primetime game that wasn't Monday night football. Like no Sunday night football games. Which that, that's the ultimate test, right? Because you can flex Sunday night games. Everything else right. is set before the season. So the amount of Sunday night games you're in actually speaks to how relevant you are as a franchise. That's a good point. It is, it is the only thing that speaks to how relevant you are as a franchise. You know, and Thursday night and Monday night, those don't count because you have to have a set amount of those per team. The Sunday night games are what matters. Um, and, I mean, like, that was Detroit's hosted their first Sunday night game against the Packers in, like, 11 years. I mean, it, it's it's a big deal. And for every year of Peyton and Drew Brees, they at least had two on the schedule. They had zero this year. I mean, that tells you that tells me everything I need to know about one, what this team is like and, uh, you know, what it is going to be moving forward. So, I mean, they've got a lot of things to figure out. Um, They got some draft capital back from Sean Payton. It wasn't much, but they do have a first round pick now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Do they go do they go trade up and grab a guy? They're incredibly aggressive in the draft. When they like a guy, they go get him. And um, I actually love that about them Um, and the way that they've done it in the past. They've been pretty damn good at it Um, every single year or almost every single year, with the exception of the Marcus Davenport deal. Um, So, I mean, they got their work cut out for them, but they refuse to tank. They refuse to, you know, commit to being a bad football team. So I I credit them for that. And you should because the NFC, especially the NFC South, is wide open. So there's no reason to to fold, um, but they got a lot of work to do in order to actually be competitive. You're talking about a division where who knows who's the Bucks quarterback. 
Sam no. Darnold and I guess Desmond Ritter. Those are the quarterbacks in your division. It seems kind of prime for the taking. And the last thing on this before we move to the some old miss stuff is who's the Saints quarterback next year? My guess is it's Derek Carr. I, I Ooh, think okay. No, I, I think he'll I mean he came in town. They had trade parameters set up uh, according to multiple people. I, I think he's going to choose New Orleans. I know it's it's kind of between us and the Panthers. Um, and he was with Dennis, Dennis Allen drafted him. So they have a previous connection, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is, is to be seen. Uh, but I, I think that ends up being him. I am looking forward to seeing Derek Carr somehow tie in these two together, gumbo and God. Um, I will look forward to that press conference where we get some oh, sort yeah. of compares to that. I love, I like Derek Carr. He seems like a nice guy. I know he's very religious. I don't mean to like poke fun at that, but like he's, He's also kind of like corny, even though he's genuine. Like, at least that's exact actually who he is, where Russell Wilson, it's like, this dude is just kind of full of it. This guy's just a robot. Derek Carr's, like, genuinely corny. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to that piece of it as well. But it's going to be fascinating to see what the Saints do and makes for an interesting offseason as the NFL kind of delivers each year. A couple of Ole Miss things before we hit soccer corner and get out of here. There's not a ton of Ole Miss news, but you did get Kevin Smith back as the running backs coach. Markel Blackwell takes the job of running backs coach at AM. That sounds like it was very um Bobby Petrino centric and not necessarily Jimbo Fisher centric. And it, you know, early words so far out of College Station is that Jimbo is actually getting out of Bobby Petrino's way. Now they lose two games before Halloween or three games for Halloween next year, and something like that happens. Like, who knows what happens after that? But it does seem like in the short term, he's giving him autonomy. I, this probably is an impossible question for you to answer because I need to work for the guy you weren't on staff with him. But, like, that was a very random move. Like, what did you make of just Blackwell being like, yeah, screw it. I'll go take the A&M job. I thought that was a very random move. Is it just like a money thing? Like, there wasn't really many ties to Petrino that I can think of. Like, what did you make of it? I mean, it's a position coach, so I can't imagine the money was like that much more dramatic. That's what um, I was thinking. Now he is a Texas guy, so he came from Houston, which is obviously that is true, closer to home, an hour away from College Station. So that might have been a connection. Um, maybe he felt like he wasn't long for Ole Miss, and you know the only way to get job security is to move in that industry. Um, right. So I mean, there's a million different reasons why it could have happened. Um, I, I don't think it looks like great on Bobby Petrino as some steel. I don't think it looks bad on Lane for his running back coach leaving. Um, it's kind of a, a moot point to me. Uh, I mean, they got Kevin Smith back. It's a, it's a kind of a classic lane hire of somebody he's familiar with. He was obviously on staff while I was there for the for that that first year. Um, you know, good recruiter. He knows Quinshawn Judkins, obviously, which is important because um, he was part of recruiting him to Ole Miss. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Is it like a upgrade or a back Blackwell or a negative? It, no, it's neither. It, it's a new running back coach, and you know what he can do as a recruiter. Um, and honestly, I was always really impressed with his actual coaching, his on-the-field coaching. I think Snoop and Ely and Parrish were a lot better at Ole Miss than they have been, you know, since they left. Um, so, it, I mean, it's it's a good thing. You know, they got the staff figured out and someone that Lane works with and, you know, as it's said by multiple people, Lane, not the easiest guy to work with. He does things pretty differently. And if you're not up for it, you know, you're definitely not up for it. Um, so Kevin knows him well enough to where that won't be an issue. Yeah, we had like a this happened and then we had kind of a Quinchon Judkins thread on the board. And I didn't really read it. But one of the things that stuck out to me immediately was from talking to Quinchon for that Grove Collective interview last summer. 
um, was that uh, Kevin Smith recruited him to Ole Miss. When he got to campus as an early enrollee, sometime within the first week or two, that's when Kevin Smith decided to head into my, head to Miami. Because remember, the crystal ball thing was a little bit of a later thing during the coaching cycle because they – did Manny Diaz so poorly to put it mildly. So that happened later on. So it's actually the guy that got Quinshawn to campus. Now Quinshawn's pretty sharp dude, pretty mature for his age. I'd say it didn't really phase him. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like a Henry Paris situation where he's tied to, um, you know, a coach at the hip where he follows um, Kevin Smith to Miami. But I just thought it, that was interesting where it was like, okay, what does this mean for Quinshawn Judkins? I mean, if anything, it would, I hate using this because it sounds so dramatic, but increase their chances of the fact that he's there until he's no longer in a collegiate uniform anymore. Right. Because it is it, 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 its simplest form. It was the guy that got him to come to Ole Miss, his primary recruiter. I know Lane was heavily involved in that one. He's not in all of them, but like, if anything to me, that would be good news in the Quinchon Judkins department. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's good news. I, I don't think the kid was leaving anyway. So it's Meaning. not the running back coach he had for one year left. Doesn't mean this kid is leaving. Um, like you said, he's a pretty mature kid. He probably knows how this game works. Um, I think there was absolutely never any reason to doubt that he was going anywhere just because his coach left. Um, it's obviously not the first time it's happened. So I don't, I don't, I don't see why it would be a big deal at all. Um, and I mean, I understand why, because, you know, he's going to A&M they're, notorious for you know using their money to benefit themselves as they should that's the that's the game we play these days but he was never he's not leaving he's not going anywhere and so I'm curious I I didn't even think of the Henry Parrish aspect of this Henry Parrish comes to Ole Miss he was very very tight with Kevin Smith clearly Kevin Smith leaves to go to Miami and Henry Parrish pretty much immediately transfers to go to Miami I'm I don't mean to make this into something more dramatic than it is, but in a way, as someone who worked in that industry, do you think that's kind of a cautionary tale of like, hey, maybe commit to a school and not follow a coach? Because now he's out of a free transfer. Maybe there's a workaround. I don't know what his academic situation is. I don't really know anything about the kid, but I would just look up. And if I'm Henry Parrish, I had a pretty good freshman year at Ole Miss. My running backs coach leaves. I follow into Miami, which is where I'm from. So it's maybe it's more than that, right? He's from that sure. South Florida area. But now he looks up and his running backs coach is gone and he can't really go use that free bingo card anymore. Like, do you think, like, is there anything to that that it's maybe a little bit of a cautionary tale of like, you know, the classic commit to a school, not a coach thing that's way easier said than done, if that makes sense? Well, I mean, it's always what you should do, but it doesn't, it's, a, it's a player by player situation. And, you know, kids do think about things differently. I mean, there are a lot of kids who like understand the game, understand these coaches are not going to be there forever. So you you think about, okay, who's the head coach, first of all? Um, excuse me. <clears throat> and then, you know, you kind of go from there. Um, all these kids have different priorities, whether that's, you know, where it's located. Some actually do care about the academics. Uh, some want the money. Some want to be close to home. You know, there's all sorts of different reasons why kids make decisions. Uh, but we always stress. And even the assistant coaches will do this as well. It's like, don't commit to me. Commit to the school. Because, like, I can't promise you I'm going to be here. And uh, they really – you don't hear assistants telling too many recruits that because obviously it's like, oh, wow, you're leaving. Okay, well, I'm definitely yeah, not right. But the guys they're close with, the guys they have real relationships with, which is why it's still important to have those in recruiting. You know, it's NIL is kind of like the closer. It's not the opener um, is like, you know, you got to commit to more than just me or more than just, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely should be an eye opener, but I don't think a lot of kids fully understand that, you know, these coaches, for lack of a better term, like lie all the time about their situations. Yeah. Or whatever. And it's not necessarily even their fault sometimes. I mean, 
you saw the guy that went to Tulane to be the defensive coordinator, then left Tulane to go be the defensive coordinator at another power five school, like Cincinnati or something. It's like Miami, sorry. right? He, uh, no, Miami. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's Miami, Gidry. Miami. He had been at McNeese state, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, like he was probably starting to recruit kids and then he left. They were probably like, what the hell? And it's like, it's not his fault. He got offered probably double his salary to go to a power five school. You know, it happens all the time. It's just kind of the name of the game. And you hope kids will understand that. Yeah, it's not even like in some cases, like in that one, it's not even like a lying thing. You're sitting to the ecosystem is so unstable. It's just like, you know, you tell a kid four weeks, like before in the early signing period, hey, I'm like, come here. It's awesome. And then, you know, three weeks later, he gets this new life changing offer. It's like, I didn't lie to this kid, but like now my situation's different. It's a fascinating oh, yeah. time in college football. Like it just, it's so ever changing. And that's going to make the spring weird. Last couple of notes for to get the soccer corner is like, I was thinking about this earlier today, like when we do a couple of spring pods as we do and bring you back on, you know, in the past, we've talked about like, hey, what's the expectation for this team? Who can play? Who can do that? I feel like with this transfer portal now 18 months in, the spring's going to be weird because it's still going to be like, well, what do they do in the summer in terms of adding to their roster? Like, I don't know to make anything at all from the spring. Like, and I don't know if that's ever happened before in college football, where it's like, like, I feel like a lot of the times when we talk about this team in spring, it's going to be like, yeah, but who else is coming? Who else is not here that that's coming? And that's never really been the case before. And that's going to be a very strange place to be uh, as we kind of get used to this very odd time college football is in. No, absolutely. And like we've talked multiple times about how the spring is kind of like, you know, the the first lap, kind of the test to to get your pole position for the for the fall camp. So it's never really been a massively important part of the season. You know, it's getting guys back into shape. You know, sometimes we'll have some early enrollees, kind of see where they stand, where, you know, how the growth of the freshman from the previous classes is going kind of work out your quarterback situation if you have one. So it's never been massively important, but now it's even less of a, you know, of an indicator of what that team is going to be like, because first of all, you're adding more kids once that next transfer window opens up and you're losing more kids. Um, So it's it's impossible to even get a good idea of what the team's going to look like until you get to damn near August or July once it's all over. Um, So, I mean, it's going to change constantly. Spencer Sanders is here. He's enrolled in school. I use my brother's account and password to check the student directory. That's what we call Big J journalism um, here on the Rippy Rides podcast. Does that change your opinion at all of what the Ole Miss quarterback situation is heading into next September? I still lean that it's Jackson Dart, but the 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 whole Spencer Sanders thing, and I know we covered it before, is just interesting and very odd to me. It's an all-Big 12 guy that's played a ton of football. I think there's some things probably, I won't say behind the scenes, but I'm not sure he, the – options that people thought he had were necessarily available due to some uh, academic stuff. I'll just leave it at that. Um, But it's very interesting because this is not where you would normally find a fifth year senior with one year of eligibility left into, even if you wanted to call it an open quarterback competition, which I don't know what it would be properly termed, but like that's not where fifth year guys go with one year of eligibility left. I find the whole thing very fascinating. And if he becomes a graduate transfer, which that part of it still remains clear on, unclear to me I guess he could technically transfer again and go somewhere else after spring but if he doesn't become one then he's just kind of stuck I don't even know what I'm asking I just find that situation to be very very unique and very very odd but I guess to package into question do you still think Jackson Dart is the starter next September I don't I I don't think that he is I I actually you know Kevin had his post 
you know, signing day press conference where he kind of did his, you know, his typical shtick about how, you know, all this is wrong and it's hard to deal with. And, you know, in my opinion, kind of a little bit whiny, but, but one of the things he did say that I give a ton of credit for that kind of makes so much sense in just this day and age of college football was someone asked about the quarterbacks. He's like, well, to be honest, my job is to improve that room, you know, not like to the best of my abilities to give myself the best chance to win. And he's like, you know, we we only had one quarterback, so like we had to add some. It's not our fault that the two we added are pretty highly rated guys. Um, and you know, now we have kind of a lot more control over Walker Howard, which is a weird way to say it, but he can't really transfer again. Right. And then Spencer Sanders, he's only here for a year. Um, so you know, that just is what it is. You're gonna do the exact same thing next year. Um, I think I'm going to be really fascinated to, to what is Jackson Dart's, uh, you know, how many credits does he need until he graduates <laughs> and potentially can use a transfer? Cause I just, my it, sense it, is options of, are open. I would just put it to you that way. Yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's kind of what I anticipated because I just don't see him being long for Oxford, Mississippi. Um, but maybe he battles it out. Maybe he's just like, nope, like this is my team. I've proven myself. I believe I can get even better, and I'm going to try to be the starting quarterback. And Lane is going to give him that shot. I mean, he gave Altmaier every opportunity to win the job because he clearly wasn't confident in Jackson in the beginning of the season. Now, I do think he gradually became more confident, but clearly not enough um, despite – you know, what a lot of us kind of thought towards the end of the season, because, you know, we both said Jackson Dart was the least of the issues of that football team last year. Um, he was not the reason that they were losing games. Now he wasn't necessarily the reason they were excelling either. Um, but no, I, I think this is going to be Spencer Sanders football team. I think he's here for a reason. Um, I think they recruited him and kept recruiting him despite Howard coming in for a reason. And I, I think Dart is, probably bound for BYU when it comes to that next transfer window. Um, so you think Sanders beats out Dart? I do. Interesting. I is I that just, a ability thing? Is that a more experienced thing? What, what, like. It, it's hard to say. It, it's really more of a situational thing. I, I just don't think he'd be here if he didn't think he was going to be the starter. And I don't think Kiffin would have recruited him with all these potential academic stuff and whatnot if he didn't think he was upgrading the room and the position um you know I, I kind of watched some Spencer Sanders stuff I mean I can tell YouTube highlights but you know the the good is really really good I mean he is a big physical kid he he is a different kind of mobile than dart um he has something that's lacking in this offense which is a, a verified really good deep ball. Um, they ran a different offense over there, and that's something he absolutely has in his arsenal. Um, I don't know if he's as accurate intermediately as Dart might be or Dart proved to be towards the later end of the season. But, I mean, he, he, he's he got a lot of experience playing a lot of really, you know, good football teams. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a fan. I don't know how much better he is or how much of an upgrade he is, but just kind of part of me believes that Lane thinks he is an upgrade. Now, without boxing you into some corner uh, that's going to be um, construed as a hot take, would you be surprised at all if it's Dart and Dart beats him out? No, I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I would just be more surprised if Dart's on the roster in it's the fall. That, I mean, just, that's just my opinion. I just don't – just the way this college football works these days, I just can't believe that they're going to have all three of these guys um, in fall camp. I, I just don't see it. Now, of course, Dart might not have a choice. Now, that's – you know. We don't know that. 
But if he does have a choice, I just don't see it. Now, I th- I'm of the same belief that all three guys are not still there in fall camp, but I tend to lean toward – I think Dart probably keeps his gig – just a hunch. I don't really have anything to go off of. A lot of Saber metrics go into these uh, opinions on the podcast, one of them being that uh, Dart killed a large mountain lion cat thing, and Sanders did not. I don't know if that factored into your decision-making at all, but uh, the uh, I, I was swayed by the uh, large mountain lion or whatever the hell that thing was that he killed. That's uh, it's definitely me. not nothing. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm willing to admit that. I don't know what it costs to get a tag for a mountain lion, um, I don't know what that kind of hunt entails. Is that a is that a boots in the ground tracking for for days and hours? Uh, is that a you sit in a tree stand and wait for the beautiful beast to come out and you smoke it with a sixty cal or fifty cal? Or I, I have no idea. But that was a huge animal. Um, so that gif- definitely gives him some points in the fan base. I heard there was no weapon. I heard it was him versus the cat. And the cat was like, Spencer Sanders is the man. And he was like, no, sir, I got to finish this. And he snapped his neck. Snapped his neck. We'll have to straighten that out another day. Um, Last thing before we get to soccer corner, do you have any strong opinions on Ole Miss hoops? They were probably getting a new coach. Um, I just like, it, it's very weird. Like the part of the reason we're doing this in early February is the fact that no one wants to talk about basketball. They're playing a game right now. I do not have it up on a computer screen. I have yeah, it. Losing by 10 at halftime. In two games, it's just, I mean, how will Wade or you will Wade fan? <laughs> um, I am a will Wade fan because I think it's funny when you're the heel team, yeah. Uh, and Ole Miss would sure as hell be that with Will Wade as their coach. Um, Can you imagine? Could you imagine? Not only because one, LSU fans, I mean, you think Ole Miss is bad at basketball this year, LSU is like worse, which is hard to imagine. And hard um, to fault that guy currently. Like the fact that they were like no, eleven and one at one point, I, I was don't. like, "Damn, are they any good?" And it's like, "Nah, not really." But they try real hard. I, I don't fault him because of the situation that one will wait caused. By the way, I know they want everyone wants to blame you know Scott Woodward for getting rid of him, but like in the current situation, or at least the previous situation, you didn't really have much of a choice. That guy um, got to May, and at one point, I think in a technical sense, had zero players. Like zero, so they, did. they had so, zero scholarship basketball players, and then yeah, to man's so credit built a roster in that situation that was actually pretty impressive, including you know taking some guys from from Murray State and had some pretty highly recruited high school kids. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean they he had no chance going into this season. That's a that's a long rebuild. Um, I think it would be hilarious for all reasons what we discussed. Um, he verifiably is good at getting players uh we've seen that uh he's done it we've heard LSU. that uh, on a video we've heard it on videotape um he's charismatic he's fun i think he would put seats you know put people in their seats um he he's a good basketball coach he's probably not a great x's and o's basketball coach but i do believe that like in the sec at least in its current construction like you just need players man yes like you have like out coaching teams is whatever it's a more difficult league night by night if you have players who can make shots and are athletic um you're going to have a chance in this league and then if you add a little bit of coaching here and there that that's going to obviously help you um i i know what your follow up question is going to be because the news came out about yes. an hour ago. About All charges Chris drop Beard. against Mr. Chris Beard for those listening out there. Um, This is maybe just a personal thing. 
Uh, Chris Beard is an incredible basketball coach. He is unbelievably good. He's been good everywhere he's been. At Little Rock, he upset Purdue, brought that team, went to Texas Tech, went to an Elite Eight, and then was, you know, a overtime away from being a national championship at a team that or a program that doesn't exactly produce NBA players all the time. Then he went to Texas and this team this year, if you've been paying attention, is really damn good. And it was his team. Um, I wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole. Uh, he is clearly a, a bad person. I wouldn't touch him. I don't care. The charges were dropped. If you listened and pay attention to any part of that situation i mean it's not good if he put if he choked out his partner girlfriend wife you can't hire you just can't you can't do that um i i would not touch him at all um and i think that you will see that nobody else will either so i'm fascinated by this because i don't under something to this situation seems amiss to me and the reason i say that is and I, this is not, please don't misconstrue this as to people listening out there as a case of like stumping for beard. This is not that at all. I don't understand the, the dynamics of how this saga unfolded because it happens. He gets charged with felony domestic violence. If you read the police report, so the way, supposedly the way it went is they come in, they have an argument. She gets mad and snaps his glasses. I think like a minute or a couple minutes pass by. And then he goes in her room and like confronts her or whatever. And then, but all it says in the police report, and I don't mean to minimize it, like, oh, this he, the guy didn't do anything wrong. I just, it, it, it seems odd to me the way the whole thing played out. And part of it is because the real only thing in the police report is that he grabbed her by the neck and put her, as the police report states, in a chokehold for roughly five seconds. And then he leaves the house and they, she calls the police and whatever, it plays out and he gets the charges brought with him. And then- she almost like recants the story. There was that report footed out there, which it was like, it could have been self-defense. Then the chart it gets, becomes clear that the charges are probably going to get dropped. She wants them to be dropped. Um, I think she, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to mistake, but she advocated for it to get dropped. And then the situation is just over again. I don't mean to make that out as like a Chris beer. Didn't do anything wrong. I, I can promise you that is not the stance I have on this. It just seems odd because Texas fired him like 12 hours after the initial report came out where she was like, it could have been self-defense. Yeah. That to me speaks more to some stuff I've heard behind the scenes about kind of how he is to work for the way maybe he kind of treats some staff people and stuff like that. I don't have any of that as anything confirmed as I could like report or say something just seems amiss because there are guys who have kept their jobs for far weirder in what seemingly on paper it has written in worse situations. And I don't know if that's telling it off. That makes any sense. The whole way it played out seems very bizarre to me and speaks it's, to maybe more of who he is versus the actual act, if that makes sense. It, exactly. I mean, it's a situation where like, do you really believe that he wouldn't do something like this again? Right. That's yes. That's probably the best person. way to put it. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, you know, Basketball should be a massive priority for Ole Miss. You should want to be good. You'll probably never be in a situation to hire a coach of the caliber of Chris Beard ever again. Exactly. I, you still don't do it. I mean, are you that desperate? Are you like going to show your cards and be like, you know, we're we're this kind of program, like we're this kind of athletic department? I mean, Keith Carter is a basketball guy. Do you think he wants his baby to be represented by this guy? I mean, Will Wade cheated. Like, that's not a big deal. Yeah, give it a crime. <laughs> Even if the if you, FBI tried to construe it as that. You know, I don't I don't know if you remember this deal, but um, I think it was like 2018. 
that Ole Miss came out that they were scheduling to play Baylor in Houston. It like yes. you know, two years in advance. Football. It got canceled by COVID. It was the Texas yeah, Tech game in 2020 with Baylor. Is what Brett, Brett McMurphy tweeted like, "Dang, like really tough matchup here between Baylor and Ole Miss." And I remember, and everyone else was like, "Whoa, let's not compare." This these is not the same thing. This at is all. Let's not compare. You know, like systematic rape of with football players to some recruiting violations, please. Like these are not the same things. I think it is a very, very similar situation with whether you should hire, you know, of course, assuming that either one of these are even possible, Chris Beard or Will Wade, they are not the same thing. They are not even in the same category or even in the same stratosphere of, you know, issues, I guess, using air quotes. Um, Will Wade if he doesn't get a uh, show cause or whatever, is an incredibly hireable coach by but with no issues. Chris Beard, in my opinion, is just not a hireable dude at all. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, not even to get into soccer corner, but there's another situation that I know you don't know about but that's happening with my team right now with a kid named Mason Greenwood who was like the chosen one, like the next Ronaldo for United – and last year in January was indicted on rape charges against his girlfriend um, with video evidence and, you know, corroborated report, not video evidence, but like corroborated reports from the girlfriend and the families. And those charges were dropped a month ago after like, you know, some witnesses kind of recanted and like the situation changed, but there was really never a doubt that it happened, which is very similar to Chris Beard. Right. And now United is having to go through the situation of, well, the charges are dropped. This guy is as talented of a football player as we've ever, you know, had on this team. Like, how do we go about, you know, bringing him back? What do we do? And I think what's going to happen is is he's not going to come back. He's just never going to play, you know, for United again. And for Chris Beard, I I think he will probably coach again. But if I'm Ole Miss, just not hitching my wagon to that kind of guy. That's the fascinating piece about it is what this search is going to become is, as you mentioned, like you need to win in basketball. How badly do you want to win? Because there's two types of damaged goods out there that would probably take your job. Maybe. I don't know as much about the Chris Beard thing. I would actually venture to um, educatedly wager that Will Wade would probably take the job. And they're two very different situations. And that's a a great way to outline it is use the soccer example. It's like, as I outlined the Beard thing, it's not like, oh, this guy didn't Ray Rice or it's no big deal. That's not what I was getting at at all. It just something seemed amiss because there was no yes. tr- like shock, like news value. Like there was no shocking like photos and stuff like that. It more spoke to like, okay, if this is how it played out and this is what happened. Like what kind of dude is this guy actually versus the just sheer, um, you know, crime he was accused of getting at. And it's a very convoluted dynamic, but that's what's going to make the search fascinating is how bad do you want to win? What kind of damaged goods are you going willing to hit your wagon to? And where does that end up? Or do you go with the typical kind of old miss route and you hire the upcoming mid-major and you know, odds like, are you stay in this rut? What even are you as a program? I think that's the biggest question. They have no I, identity. I, what are they as a program? I can't I answer that question. I have no clue. Very, very valid argument that they are the worst job in the SEC, that Ole Miss is the worst basketball job in the SEC. I can and get on that. I, I could I could say it with like pretty pretty easily and I could back it up I mean they just have no NBA presence they split a state with basically very little in-state talent um you know they have an absolutely beautiful facility which is a huge plus that's new um but they have really no tradition of winning um they have no tradition of like tournament runs 
They have, you know, their most popular players are like, you know, Marshall Henderson and Stephon Moody in the past, you know, 15 years. I know Terrence Davis was great and he's their one guy that's a role player in the NBA, but sorry, I'm not going to hitch my wagon to him. So like, what, what can you get? Is that the reason that like the fan base and the media is so concerned about whether it's going to be Will Wade or Chris Beard, because they know they'll never, ever get a coach like that to come there. Right. Or do you just do it? You just build it the old fashioned way. I mean, I'm sure the NIL at Ole Miss is a struggle. I mean, it's just, it's not that great of a job, but, but that doesn't mean you should settle for being terrible. Like right. that's absolutely like those things do not have to correlate. You can try to be very, very good at basketball. Um, and if you're not going to be very, very good, at least be freaking entertaining. Cause that's what they've really been struggling with. And as much as I like Kermit Davis as a person, um, I mean, and by the way, is definitely a good basketball coach. Yes. He has recruited incredibly poorly. He has not adapted his coaching and, you know, his recruiting to the SEC um, the way that he probably should have. Um, and it, it's failed. And that's just a fact. But with the facilities, with how much money is in basketball, though, no, you might not make a lot of money because only so many teams actually do. It's still a revenue generating sport. Whereas baseball, which I know everyone loves, and I, I do as much as anybody, um, it, I mean that's 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 not basketball. It doesn't carry the same weight. It's not the same avenue to resources to your university as basketball is. Even though the college basketball game is so diluted and less than what it used to be, it's it's still a massively important sport, and it's the second biggest sport on almost every single campus in America. You you can't be shitty at it. And they've been shitty. You got to figure it out. I'm just not sure you have to go to Chris Beard to figure it out. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out, but that is well said. And it's it's going to be kind of what are you as a program and what do you want to be? And the hire for a myriad of reasons is going to reflect that. As we wrap up here, it's now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. You would be proud, I would say, for the better part of about four and a half weeks now. I'd say at least four Saturdays in a row. I kind of like my routine on Saturday and Sunday. I'll wake up. I'll flip on an EPL game. I'm still not getting up early enough for, you know, some of the start times or outlining. I can't miss this, but I like having it on my TV every morning. I think actually last weekend or weekend before last, I can't remember which one it was. I had like a Wolverhampton Southampton game on. So it's not just the marquee names. I just enjoy kind of the ambiance of the announcing and just the whole thing in general. It's fascinating to me. We've had some movement since we last did a podcast. And uh, as of this uh, recording, um, we now have a tie atop of the uh, English Premier League standings. You have Arsenal and Man City both at 51 points. Okay, I will start here. You're going to have to outline this one for me. I know Man City has played one more game, so I mean, I guess that would mean Arsenal has one coming up. There were some Champions League matches this week. How did Arsenal overtake, or excuse me, how did uh, Man City overtake them this week? What's happening here? Because when you get all these different tournaments and stuff, it starts to confuse me. What has happened this week? Well, they played today. Today. Okay, so as we record this on a Wednesday night, they played today. But I thought one of those was the Champions League. That was an EPL game? So Tuesday they had two Champions League games. Okay. PSG played Bayern. and um, Tottenham played, correct? And Tottenham lost to AC Milan. And then today Chelsea lost to Dortmund and Benfica beat Club Bruges, a team out of Belgium. But also today Arsenal played Man City in the Premier League. Just okay, a weird okay. scheduling deal that ended up being on the same day, which I know is like kind of annoys a lot of people. Um, but it certainly confuses the novice over here. I was thoroughly yes. confused as to understandably. No, it's understandable. Um, so I, I think today was a just a massive 
turning of the tides in this in this title deal. Uh, City went to Arsenal. It's the first of their two meetings of the season and beat them 3-1. Arsenal under Arteta has never beaten Man City. And Arteta, manager of Arsenal, used to be at City with Guardiola after he stopped playing at Arsenal. They know each other well. They worked together for years. And it's it's just, I mean, City owns them. And now not only are they tied now, but they're actually City's technically ahead on goal differential. Right, which was so they're, why they're, they're first and Arsenal second. Right. Um, so I mean it it to me was just a massive crush in confidence to Arsenal's ability to win this league. Um, I don't think they're a better team than City. I thought that City was really faltering against lesser opponents, whereas Arsenal was just con- consistently beating everyone. That in the past two or three weeks has really changed. Um, and City, I think, is now, I mean, with the way the game played out today and just the advantages they have for the rest of the season, I mean, they're they're definitely in pole position, even though it's tied. When we started talking about this Premier League season during fall camp of football, I was amazed by the odds of Manchester City to win the Premier League. Remember, it was like minus 200 or something insane in terms of like futures odds to win the league. And so we spent this whole like three month stretch of me asking you, okay, Arsenal's ahead. Like, did, is, like, do they actually have a shot? No, no. We got to a point where we were like, okay, maybe, because if I'm not mistaken, not too long ago, like Arsenal was like seven, eight points ahead. Like yeah. Man City was way behind. And now it seems like the cream has risen the, to the proverbial top. And it's now Man City's league to run away with. Has anything happened or did it just play out that way? Like, is anything changed in your mind or is just the better team over a longer period of time finally kind of taking control of the league well Arsenal finally dropped some points to some lesser teams um they had an incredibly controversial game last Saturday against Brentford where Brentford equalized in like the 80th minute and the goal was actually offsides and the VAR got it wrong which was like Ooh. a massive ordeal um that I was reading about uh because I'd never seen that but they literally got it wrong they they scanned the line on the wrong person and counted the goal this was in London at Arsenal and I mean that had a massive impact um on one the mindset of this team and two just the title race in general I mean that's a difference between two points I mean they Arsenal would still be ahead um with a game in hand because they still have another one to go uh, so, I mean, like, they're not dead, but they're, I think the squad depth's getting to them. Uh, I think City is kind of getting into stride. They they hit kind of a patch with Holland. He's such a different player for them and their scheme. But now they've kind of come around to, to understand how they need to play with him. And, I mean, they're just simply better than Arsenal. But it was impossible to ignore what Arsenal had done in the first half of the season. I mean, they were like 16-1-1. I mean, it was like, yeah, you have to take them seriously. But – I'm not necessarily shocked by the slight regression of that team. But, I, I mean, they're not dead, but they're they're definitely – I mean, today was a pretty big blow. Your team is trending upward. You're now third in the Premier League standings, five ed, uh, points ahead of Saudi Castle. Saudi Castle has uh, drawn back-to-back matches against Bournemouth and West Ham, who are two of the bottom feeders in the Premier League, which I can't imagine is favorable results for the uh, black and white stripes up there in Newcastle. Uh, what you I mean, we started this year, you talked about what a disgrace and disaster Manchester United is. It seems like they figured it out. What has happened and why? Um, I mean, the first thing that's happened is is Marcus Rashford 
has been on a hot streak that I've like literally never seen. And he, since the world cup, he has scored 13 goals in 15 games. It's been outrageous. I mean, he has just been simply unstoppable. Um, and that can win you a lot of, a lot of games. Um, Eric Tenhog, the coach um, has just completely changed the mindset of this team. Uh, they added Casemiro who played for Real Madrid for years and years and years, who is just a winner. And he's come into the midfield, which was like the worst part of this team for the past five years and has completely changed how they've played. Um, we've got the young kids are showing up. I mean, he's just done an incredible job. Um, we're still pretty thin. We've got some injuries. So I think we're, we're due for a slight regression from the way we've played recently, but it's hard to complain. Um, we have a Europa League game tomorrow. Um, which is like the second tier of the Champions League. We actually play Barcelona of all teams. Um, so that we're going over there, it'll be really, really interesting to see how they like, just how they play in that environment, um, how these kids show up uh, because they've just been so, so hot, but they're about to play a team and a style of play they have not seen before. Um, so that'll be really, really interesting to see how far this team has come. But they have been, I mean, they're in it. I mean, they're in this race, uh, which is not something I expected to say after the first week, two or three weeks of the season. I don't think they'll win it. Uh, I think it'll be incredibly difficult, but I mean, they're only five points back. So, I mean, they're definitely in it um, and in the best position they've been in a long time. That's what I was about to ask. Can they win it? You got about 15 matches left, right? It's 38 in a season. They're at 23, 22, basically, depending on who you look at. Can they win this thing? I mean, it's it's it'll be really difficult. Um, you know, it's a credit to them because they're in every competition they they could possibly be in. They're in the finals of the uh, League Cup, where they'll play Newcastle in like two weeks in Wembley in London. They're still in the FA Cup and they're still in the Europa League. So they just have so many games with a team that just lacks a lot of depth. Um, and it's uh, in this in this whole deal. I mean. Soccer, it's a war, it's a war of attrition, just the way how many games these guys play. And it's, it's been a big talking point amongst like every league. Like these guys just play too many games. We have too many competitions, too many games. Guys are getting injured and they're out for forever. The World Cup screwed up everything as well, being in the middle of the season, which is even more unprecedented. Um, I mean, they've been playing well enough. I mean, they should have beaten Arsenal two weeks ago, uh, or they should have at least drawn Arsenal two weeks ago on the road. They lost at the last second, and they beat City uh, about three weeks ago. So, I mean, they're capable of playing with the big boys, but it's kind of just like dropping those points against the little guys that will probably come and bite them and probably not be enough to win it. Sounds like Saudi Saudi Castle's star has faded a bit, but I want to jump down further to the bottom. We talked about Man City being such a dis, or excuse me, Man United at the end beginning of the year being such a disgrace. Um, Chelsea is in tenth place in the Premier League at this point. Uh, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places uh, in terms of just uh, UK media consumption over there with the Brits and the Twitter. Oh, you can find it. Are the pitchforks out? Like, are the pitchforks out? What the hell's happening with this uh, once proud Chelsea club? Oh, yeah, they're out. I mean, their new owner's an American, so they, they get no grace from the British media. Um, they played their first Champions League game today in Germany and lost 1-0. And this uh, is the one that had the Russian oligarch, right, that had to sell the team, and they had some weird financial shit, and, and not, now, so they now they have, have a wanker a, running the show. Now they have a wanker hedge fund manager from New York running the show. Oh, I love um, this. To his credit, uh, he, spent, he has spent almost $700 million on this squad in the last two windows. Since he uh, took over the team? 
Yes. The war in Ukraine started like right around a year ago. So you're talking 700 million <laughs> bucks, like 10 months. No, I mean, it's been, it's been a lot. I mean, he's brought in like real time players, like guys okay. who Enzo Fernandez, um, Jao Felix, guys that are a hundred million dollar players. Um, and they've won two out of the last 13 matches. They oh. suck. They suck. Today they had 22 shots on goal and did not score. Uh, they, they're just, they're just not, they're not very good. I think they will round into form with all these new players and figured it out. I mean, some of the guys they have on this team now are just simply too talented to fail, but I mean, I don't think they're making top four or top five. Um, I mean, they, they just have no chemistry. Um, they're just not very good. Simple as that. Has anyone been sacked? Cause I feel like that would be the next natural step of recourse. You have to fire a manager. Otherwise it's not. Well, even- they fired the manager That's earlier right. in the year and they hired the one from, from Brighton. So, I mean, they could sack another manager. Oh, that's right. Send him back to Brighton. It's not impossible. Southampton who is in last place has fired two managers this year. So it's, it's, it's not impossible. As we wrap up soccer corner here, my favorite part might actually be the bottom of the league. Since we've last spoken, I don't know who let the Wolverhampton Wanderers get hot, but we're talking about a freight train from hell just coming straight up the ass of the competition. They are now up to 17 goals scored on the season, and they're in 15th place. They are not in the cellar anymore. Um, They've won a couple games, it seems like. They're actually like five points clear of the relegation zone. It seems like – is this the one with all the Portuguese dudes? If it's Portugal, yes. Are they having a moment? <laughs> Portugal is having a moment. And they're just out of the cellar now. I'm surprised at the uh, movement of uh, Wolverhampton here. Yeah, they they got a new manager. They've actually been, like, really good. They beat uh, Liverpool at home 3-0, which is impressive. Uh, This past weekend, they were down 1-0 to Southampton. with. I watched this one, yeah. Yeah, with a red card and came back. It's a pretty awesome game, actually. Came back and won 2-1, which led to Southampton firing their coach probably – uh, rightly so, losing a game like that. But uh, they've just been a lot better. Um, I mean, that's just it happens when you get a new manager. You kind of get that new manager bump. It's pretty incredible how it happens. Like literally, these guys get sacked. New guy comes in. They just some of these teams are just like ten times better. Leeds being an example of that. Um, so I mean, it happens, and they've been playing a lot better. So last thing here, as I look at the bottom in the relegation zone, you've seen Bournemouth and Southampton, which were two of the three clubs that were promoted this year. Um, you actually have Nottingham Forest, who's all the way up in like what? like so South, Southampton was already in. Bournemouth was only the only one of the promoted teams. Okay, who was that? So Bournemouth promoted, Nottingham Forest promoted. Who's the other and one that was promoted? Fulham, who's in seventh. Oh, that's right. I get those two confused. I get Southampton yeah. and Fulham confused. So Southampton looks pretty clearly headed down. That seems to take a south return there. But my point in getting to all that is, is let's just say that the bottom two spots remain the same. You're going to have a fairly notable club that might enter the relegation zone because you have Wolverhampton has climbed all the way five points clear of relegation, but you have West Ham, Leeds, and Everton all within two points of relegation, Everton being the one that's actually in the relegation zone now. So you're actually going to get a pretty notable club that could be sent down this year. I hope it's not our guy Jesse March, the real life Ted Lasso. Oh, but well, it seems I like with that third relegation spot, one like actual real notable club could be in the danger zone here. Well, I, I guess you didn't know, but J- Jesse Marsh got sacked. Oh, he's done. He, the I American never dream is the over. The American them. dream is over. <laughs> it is over. That's disappointing to hear. That I actually ruined this whole pod. When did this happen? What happened to him? So United played him back-to-back games. And it actually happened, I think, about a week ago. He okay. got sacked. And he was actually, funny enough, today was supposed to be announced as the new Southampton manager. 
What? And then they would they wouldn't give him a good contract, so it kind of fell apart. So he's not going to Southampton. <laughs> Wait, so he was going to take over another team at the bottom after he got sacked into that team close to the This is the, this makes the silly season look insane to me. So you could potentially have two to three guys that were coaching one team, coaching another in the same season, had everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Correct. Yes. What and a why they wild would do that, I do not know. I do. All right. Know. Last thing, the question I always ask you of West Ham, Leeds, and Everton. What would be the biggest embarrassment in terms of club notoriety of getting relegated and going down? It would definitely be between Everton and West Ham. I think Everton hasn't been relegated in like 65 years or something like that. Um, and it's a club that's building a brand new stadium in Liverpool. I mean, it would be really, really bad. Um, West Ham is kind of like a newer money club. Um, they built a brand new stadium in London. Uh, they had an incredible season or really like two or three seasons in a row of being like really, really good in the Europa League, like really competitive. Um, so that would be pretty bad. Leeds has an incredible history, but has been kind of a yo-yo-ish club in the last few years. They've been up for probably like two or three years now, uh, but it wouldn't be as shocking. I think West Ham or Everton would be like a pretty embarrassing Okay, I'm actually rooting for the club that's building a new stadium to go down to the league below. That would just absolutely be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. So we will see how it plays out. We'll have you on, of course, before the season ends. But in a couple of uh, weeks or so to chart the progress, this has been Soccer Corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil. He is Weldon Rodenberg playing injured with a, a broken hand and potentially a broken nose. Good luck at the engagement party, man, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Appreciate it. See you, man. All right, that was Weldon. Appreciate his time. Colin and I will be back at it on Sunday with a uh, opening weekend series uh, podcast recap. So stay tuned for that. A lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Thanks for listening. As always, have a wonderful weekend.